It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a great show in store coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk about sharks with uh, inside and outside the Oval Office with uh, actor Brad Benedict, who uh, plays the role of Secret Service agent Kyle Flint in the Tyler Perry BET political drama series The Oval on Tuesday nights. But he's also... uh, uh, appeared on uh, Discovery Channel's first ever shark competitive docu-series, Shark Academy. Anyway, we'll talk to Brad about that and more in the second hour of our three-hour tour. We're going to talk with um, a distinguished scholar of higher education from uh, New York University, uh, Arthur Levine, who is also the co-author of a new book called The Great Upheaval, Higher Education uh, past, present, and uncertain future. Um, but this uh, first hour, in fact, we have a little surprise coming up in the third segment of this first hour. We're going to try and talk a little bit about the California governor recall with uh, San, Fr- San Francisco-based uh, political analyst Ben Kaplan. But first, my, uh, my first guest this morning 
is a former immigration federal prosecutor turned inspirational speaker, transformational coach, and award-winning author of a new book called Butterfly Awakens, a Memoir of Transformation Through Grief. Her name is Meg Nacero, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Meg. Welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Tom. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. I, I didn't realize that we were going to have so many... Uh, uh, I know <laughs> political tentacles today on the show, and that it was going to be such a busy show. But um, I, I, I have to ask: you were a homeland security attorney, and you said that you left because of a toxic administration. Um, what was what was toxic about it? What what made you want to leave public service? So let's all remember 2016, shall we? <laughs> I don't know if I want to remember the beginning of this, but you know, the bottom line was I had been at that point with the federal government for a significant time period. When I left, it was nearly 20 years, and you know, I, I had served because that's the public service capacity. I had served under very many different administrations, starting with Clinton, ending with um, the Trump administration, and you know, I had taken my oath of office to fairly execute the laws, the immigration laws of the United States, you know, fairly, <laughs> literally fairly. And it didn't feel like that was what was coming down from immigration policy at that point when I was, you know, looking at, do I want to be a part of something that was so, um, I would say, punishing at that point. I, I, I do remember, we, you know, it's so funny because it's interesting because I because I'm a federal I I'm born federal literally I have 20 years you kind of inbred with that you know you kind of watch your words and you know you know the chain of command and navigating that you know you you represent the federal government so you know clearly you you the party line literally you know regardless of who is in charge the executive branch is the one who sends down policy for the attorneys and for the staff to follow and you know I I was. I was looking at where the immigration policy was going and, and so much uh, animosity and division and, and for that, just, I just looked, looked in the mirror and I said I wouldn't be able to, to handle that. I, I don't think I could handle that. And, uh, you know, after 20 years, I had 10 years left to best for my, you know, benefits and everything and I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, at this point in time, I need to make a decision where I want to fall with my career as far as, you know, how I show up in the world and what I believe in, what my integrity, you know, says and my, my values dictate. So I, I was very appalled by what was coming out of the, uh, out of the speaking points with regard to um, the administration that won. I did not feel aligned to that. So that pretty much you know, like coming to, you know, my own reality of what I, you know, at the end of my days, what do I want to stand for? And I did not choose today. Well, I was, I was curious about that because I've talked to uh, a number of people, of course, when uh, Donald Trump was elected in 2016, there was a lot made of draining the swamp and getting rid of, you know, the, the people in Washington that, that were entrenched in Washington. And I remember talking to a, uh, a, a former White House staffer, uh, Mark Everson, and he referred to those people as uh, hardworking public servants that make the trains run on time. 
And yeah. when you were making your decision, and, and a lot of attention, of course, at that time was being focused on immigration, um, there were some people leaving and some people sort of trying to stick around and see if they couldn't, you know, under the radar, make sure that things stayed sort of the same. And that's why I was curious what what your take was, you know, when you made your decision, which way to go. You know, to, to that point, yes, absolutely. There are so many good people who represent the United States government and all of the different agencies. And I had the the distinction to to be working side by side with them, and they they you know they're not the ones who are out front you know saying those some of the horrible things that you know are very divisive. They're literally there, like you said, to make the trains run on time, to do their job, to make sure that the the borders are safe, and to make sure that the execution of the laws are you know un, you know unfold accordingly. So you know it's hard. It was really hard at that point in time because you know it, I. Had you know, it had to be my decision. It was. I never. I. I like. I said. I'm so proud to have served in that capacity when I took the oath of office in 19. Wow, it's a long time ago. 1999 uh, when I started as a trial attorney. It was pride. It was pride that I took that oath because my grandfather was a congressman in New York in the 60s. So we, you know, as Italian Americans, we had that ethic and that knowledge that you know we're here to give back to a country that gave us so much. So. To be a public servant like that was like the highest honor I could ever imagine as an attorney. So yes, it, it came to the point where you know I, I had to make a make a, a decision for myself. You know, and and it wasn't easy. It was not easy. Well, and then fast forward, you have a new book called Butterfly Awakens, a memoir of transformation through grief. And I just have to ask, because not very many people um, look for their awakening in uh, at a lighthouse in northern Spain. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a... <laughs> you know, some people like to say it might be crazy. I like to say it's crazy awesome, because I am one of the people who will always pay attention to the different signs. I'm like, I believe a conscious life is very important. Like, you should not walk numbly, don't drink the Kool-Aid of others, make decisions that are soundly based upon what feels right, your intuition. So for me, you know, it was interesting because when my mother passed away, and some people think that this is kind of, you know, woo-woo or whatever, but I had seen a lighthouse. And, and I saw, you know, this beautiful bright light, and I felt her say to me, let me go. And I had to let her go, obviously, because that was the end of her time here in this, in this world. Um, but I never let go of this lighthouse. And it was interesting that the things that started to appear from that point to when I made the decision to actually walk the Camino. The Camino is, uh, I don't know how much you're familiar with it, but it's a spiritual pilgrimage that since the 8th century, people have been walking to get to Santiago to pay their respects to the to the the remains of um, Santiago, which is Saint James, and one of the well, apostles. So, you know, I I was fascinated by by why this lighthouse was leading me there. And you know, it was funny because I like obviously you're a huge advocate of books, which I think is amazing. You know, I started reading voraciously different books, and then one of the authors that came into my hands was Paulo Coelho, and he wrote the book called The Pilgrimage. And reading that, it was just kind of like, I have to do this. I felt compelled to do this. And when I went and looked 
where Finestere is, which is the end of, it means the end of the world in Spanish, when this, and the whole thing was when the, when the pilgrims finished their, you know, hike, their pilgrimage, at the end they would burn their clothes at the end of the world where this, the veil of this world you meets the veil of the next. And, you know, it's just kind of a ritual of starting over a new beginning. And for me, it just meant I needed my message there and closure. I needed closure because I had felt I was carrying um, the weight of the loss for way too long. And that was where I found myself, which is I'm the most unlikely hiker you'll ever meet in your life, <laughs> your life <laughs> in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I People were like, where are you going? <laughs> what are you doing? And And then I got a wonderful cohort to help me sign up uh, 16 other pilgrims with us so that we could all do it together because I'm a huge collaborator too. Well, the vision that you had of this lighthouse, was it that specific lighthouse? Or had you ever seen things or read things about it before? Why that particular lighthouse? Why not a lighthouse in Maine or northern Michigan or... Yeah, you know, it was very unusual. And I actually drew the lighthouse after I saw it because I was so compelled. There was that moment in time, those profound moments in our lives, you know, when we're so impacted by by what happens and we remember it, the details. And, you know, it was just something I never had expected. And it was it was an unusual lighthouse because if you look at the lighthouse at Finisterre, it's not normal. It doesn't look like your normal you know, one that you would see, say, for instance, in Nantucket or anything like that, you know, the long, you know, the long uh, pole in the top, uh, the light at the top. It was more of a house. It was a house that mm. had this light on top. And I was just like, what is this? You know, it was so unusual. So when I started, you know, it's, it's, it's life is so funny. You know, when we, when we are paying attention, then we see the Carl Jungian synchronicities show up and then the different people who egg you on with regard to, here's another clue, here's another clue to this mystery that we call our lives, right? So as it all came down the pike, I was compelled to do the pilgrimage, and then I saw this beautiful lighthouse. And the fact of the matter is, I'm like, there has to be some message there. There has to be. I was, I was you know, 77 miles later, kept me going because there was, had to be a message for me there. And... And it was the unusual lighthouse. It was that that I needed to go to to get it. That's uh, that's just fascinating, and um, and I want to talk some more about that uh, about that trip and and about your book Butterfly Awakens: A Memoir of Transformation Through Grief, and how that led to uh, your pilgrimage and. And where you were at the time and, and where you are now. And I want to talk about those things, Meg, but I have a break coming up here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my guest is uh, Meg Nocero. She is the uh, author of a new book called Butterfly Awakens, a Memoir of Transformation Through Grief. We're going to let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint um, squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Hearing. Um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots more straight ahead.
Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We're talking with the author of a new book called Butterfly Awakens, a memoir of transformation through grief. Her name is Meg Nocero, and she joins me by phone. Meg, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, thank you. I'm so entertained by all of that. I love it. Coffee with Tom this morning. It's awesome. <laughs> well, and it's and it's nice to have you here. And and during the last segment, we we talked a little bit about the the many years you spent in uh, public service, working for the government uh, in um, homeland security and and immigration, and and then you left. And then we also talked about this this vision of a lighthouse that happened sort of concurrently at the time of your mother's death. Um, can we put a little bit of a timeline to some of this, the, the pilgrimage to this lighthouse in northern Spain? Um, how long you had, had it been since you had left uh, public service um, when your mother passed away? And when exactly did you get this image? And then how long before you took the pilgrimage? So my mother passed away in 2011. It was in April of 2011. And... Um, between the time of, of when she passed to the time that I, I started the pilgrimage, that was in 2018. So it was a good seven years, which, you know, for me, seven, the number seven has significance because there's some kind of sacredness with regard to that cycle. And for me, it was more like a, a notion of a healing process that happened for me. It was perfect timing to go when I did. I decided to leave... Um, Homeland Security in August of 2017. And I have to tell you, there's nothing more terrifying than leaving unknown to jump into an unknown and uncertain uh, with regard to what you're going to do with your career, how how you're going to be able to support your family. But I have to tell you, I, I was very much very lucky to have a very supportive husband when I finally decided to, to take that leap. But it did take me that long to get to that decision because I, I really succumbed to grief. I had a really tough time with the loss. And I don't know if anyone out there, certainly after, you know, what's happened with COVID this last almost two years now, you know, the whole impact of loss is certainly, it takes a, it hits you hard. And, and it, everyone has a different grieving process. But for me, I was not the get up and dust yourself off and move on. This was a significant relationship in my life that, Without her, I didn't know how I was going to be able to navigate. She was literally a, a guide for me. So I had to figure out um, how to move forward and, and be in this world without my mother. And, I, you know, it's, it's very interesting because I've heard left and right that everyone processes things very differently. And, you know, I still had to show up at my job. I still had to hear, you know, a lot of asylum cases involve a lot of, you know, torture of their family members and, and for someone who was dealing with, you know, the anxiety of what I had just gone through losing my mom to cancer, it was way too much for me to hear those stories over and over again. So I had to figure out, you know, in my own way, with the help of many, believe me, it was never alone. I did not move forward alone to how I was going to show up and not give up on my life. And so that was certainly impactful. 
and it did take me the whole seven years. I, I did write a first book called The Magical Guide to Bliss, which was, in fact, a guide for me that led me through the whole process. It's called, um, it was a daily keys to unlock your dreams, bliss, and, and I'm sorry, dreams, spirit, and inner bliss. So basically, I was told, write whatever she would tell you, the wisdom of my mother I encapsulated in this book. And then basically, uh, after I decided to, to publish that, I decided to follow it, which eventually led to me making that leap of, taking that leap of faith, which, you know, I was more literally empowered and, and felt stronger in, in my conviction, especially in light of what was unfolding in 2016 and 17. At, at what point in, in the process did you turn to turn it did you turn outward and and become an inspirational speaker and transformational coach at, at which point did you feel strong enough to then help others through the process so just as a point of reference i um when i was with the department of homeland security i created the um, intern program there so i had always um, hired and mentored a lot of law students uh, undergrad students, college students, and my my feeling was that I wanted to pay for all those wonderful mentors that I had when I was in law school, undergrad, you know, even high school, and mentor these students who are coming out into the world, you know, into the professional world, and and to help craft them uh, with this knowledge that professionally and personally you can't be bifurcated in the in the process in the world. You have to be authentically yourself and hold those standards up high. Like your reputation is incredibly important when you go in for the court. So I had already done that for 17 years. So I felt very comfortable in the inspirational uh, realm because I was teaching as I was litigating. I was I had both of those jobs. So you know for the first you know. After I lost my mother, I, I I was still doing that, just not to the capacity that I was before because I was a mess. I, I was a mess. I, you know, at that point I was like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't function normally. My anxiety was super high. And then I had to reach out to others for help. So that was the beginning of the process of my healing when I actually reached out and said, I can't do this alone. As a type A personality who's been able to handle a lot, and you'll probably, after me, I heard your 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 list of guests, they're all probably very type A. They can do it themselves, <laughs> right? But at, at a point in time, you realize, okay, this is not pretty. I can't do this myself, and I need help. So when I started reaching out to those, you know, those beacons of light, I call them, you know, it's funny because the lighthouse and the light are very poignant in this, you know, they became my lighthouses that I could follow to get to a place where I felt stronger and I felt more able to turn around and take the lessons that I've learned and share them with others. And and, and I'm still, I'm, I'm fascinated by the pilgrimage in, in northern Spain and, and how does this book, this memoir of transformation, um, ascend from that pilgrimage into uh, a story that, that other people can use in, in figuring out what their pilgrimage is? How is it not just a, you know, <laughs> Meg's travel book? 
yeah. If it were Meg's travel book, I would have picked uh, island off the coast of perhaps Italy or Greece and just decided to share about, you know, Capri and the beauty of that. But this was literally something that I felt I had to to do. I was called to do. It was a calling. I felt that I had to. And, you know, the, the whole bottom line is in uh, the pilgrimage, in Paulo Coelho's pilgrimage, uh, you know, he talks about how you, you, when you're walking on this path and you're present on this path and you start paying attention to who shows up on the path, then the mysticism of life becomes more of a reality than the ethereal nature. So for me, <laughs> to get on uh, this path and walk it was more of a... A, not, not a dedication, but more of like a, uh, honoring those who came before me. Because, you know, in the Camino of life, right, we build on the legacies of our past. We build on the legacies of our, of our relatives. Our and for me, I wanted to, to see, first of all, where it was taking me. I really did feel compelled. Like I had, a, I had sprained my ankle on day four, and I still had 25 miles to walk. And I don't know, sometimes I was thinking, I'm going to permanently damage myself. But I was not. I will not come back and do this again, so I better finish what I started now. And I think that at the end of the day, I was able to push through the pain, and that kind of, on the other side, was a lot of joy and celebration. And what I found at the end was I could not have gotten to the end by myself, so thank God I had the people who showed up. But all the other wonderful strangers who show up along the way too, also add to your journey. So when I, you know, this is not my travels of how beautiful the, the, the Camino was because literally some days I was cursing the Camino. I was, you know, that kind of life, right? Why is this happening? Why am I here? What was I thinking? And then turning that around to, well, I'm here, the whole surrender, surrender to whatever that is, let go of what was so I could like somehow release all of the possible regrets in my life, you know, and then open myself up to the faith of what will be. And it was really how I discovered that on this road. And when I ended, you know, it was to start all again like the other pilgrims, burning what was the past so I could step into a new beginning. And, you know, forgiving myself or or perhaps, you know, understanding myself better, because I think when you walk sometimes alone, you hear, you hear better. So I think that that's really what my message was from incorporating the Camino into the story, and that was the message that I got, is that, you know, we have everything we need, we're born with everything we need, but a lot of us aren't paying attention, and we're not, you know, acknowledging the gift that is our life, what makes us special, what gives us that, you know, you know, de vivre, you know and, and, and to be able to open up and share that with others is so important because, you know, I love the notion that we're not walking this Camino of life alone. And that's freeing, especially the time when we're all isolated for such a long time and coming out again and reaching out. We all want to be, you know, that connected source of, of we're taking care of each other rather than this is all about me. You know, we're in this together. And I think that for me, that's what the Camino really spoke to, is that 
I paid attention. I really got excited about it. I did get excited about it. Some days it was like, oh my God, you'll never believe this. So, and then I'm telling about it. I'm telling and sharing my story. And, and how much of that experience was about, um, and how much of it was an exercise and picking a moment in time for reinvention? And how much of it was the traditional spiritual journey that, that others had experienced? Well, interestingly enough, and I did not plan this, how things unfolded, I walked into Finestere seven years to the day we buried my mother, which that was completely synchronistic. That was not planned. That is just how things unfolded. So I, 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 that was very profound for me, that you know, from the day that we said our goodbyes here on, on Earth to her, I was finishing this journey and of this closure that I was looking for. So the spiritual nature, right? What makes us breathe life into our world, into our lives? You know, for me, that was very profound because I felt at the end that it did not honor my mother to mourn her any longer. It was more of an idea of rejoice in what she taught me and how I live my life is a testimony to those who came before. So that's the spiritual side of it. Also the other, you know, the other side is also spiritual as well because, you know, I never did that before. I have never done that before. Walk seventy seven miles in six days. I, I never even imagined doing that. And nor had I even trained to do it because before I left I pulled my back out significantly so I couldn't even walk. So the reality is is I went from this situation where I was totally laid up doing PT every other day because I couldn't even sit, you know, to walking 77 miles. It's just the beauty of the human spirit and when we put our minds to something and how incredibly, you know, determined and wonderful. And I'm not just saying from my story. I, I walked into Santiago de Compostela, the church, with a woman who had been battling stage four breast cancer. She had the same breast cancer my mother did and she walked into the church with me at 77 miles and that wasn't lost on me and it, the book is actually dedicated to Paulina Tawil because she she did lose her battle to breast cancer this last year but you know these are the people who show up on our paths together so you know it's very profound to me it wasn't just a walk so for others it may have been but for me it was not when you were writing this book, or, or now that the book is, is done and out, what are you hoping, um, who are you hoping will read this book, and what are you hoping that they take away from it? I think one of the most important intentions that I had when I wrote it, and this probably goes back to the beginning when I was actually navigating grief initially, um, a lot of people... Um, experience depression to the extent where they don't want to live anymore and they really want they don't they don't feel like they have hope any longer and I was lost I didn't know where to go where to turn who would understand me and I, I promised myself I'm gonna figure this out just like the lawyer right research the evidence will show I want to see evidence that'll help me figure this out that aligned to me so that when someone in the future picked up this book, they would feel that there's still hope. There's hope for themselves, 
There is a hope for a brighter day. There is hope for light at the end of the tunnel. There's hope. Because, you know, the whole dark night of the soul mentality, right? You, everyone has to walk through it at one point in their life. And I think that when we're awake to that and to the notion that, you know, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional, and we find people to help us walk through that, I think that the more we can bring light to others when they're going through a dark time. So that, that was essentially my promise. I get through this, I will share the vulnerability of my story, which is very challenging as well because you're putting it all out there in hopes that it might help someone who's going through a very challenging time as well. <laughs> Does being an A-type personality help with um, being able to uh, confront your uh, your weaknesses and share those this way? Being an A-type personality just makes me stubborn enough to like <laughs> fight with everybody who says I can't do what I want to do. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like a... I, and I'm a middle child, too, so double whammy, right? I'm right in the middle of the, you know, <laughs> I'm you always go. kicking and screaming for the attention, right? Not that I need the attention of the world. I definitely want to bring attention to things that I am really passionate about, and that is the uniqueness and specialness of each human person. And, and you know, the perseverance, you know, the type A perseverance, like, I, if anyone would see a list of mine, they would be like, what in God's name are you thinking? Because I believe in the mind dump, stick it all on the paper, and then try to figure out one by one incrementally how I'm going to get what I want accomplished. So it does help um, with the visions uh, to have that personality. I, I don't give up very readily. And when I'm close to giving up, I have type A personalities in my life. So they'll say, are you kidding me, right? Don't you dare. Don't you dare. So I'm, I'm definitely held accountable. And, and I'll shout out to Bertha Medina on that one. She, she'll hold me accountable. And that's someone who had climbed Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money for, for children in Kenya. So like, I'm surrounded by people like that. So it definitely fuels my passions and my fire and, and makes my life filled with more purpose. But isn't that we're here to do all for each other? So that makes me really happy. Uh, Meg, how significant is is the timing of this book, given the uh, emotional uh, uh, roller coaster people have been on throughout this uh, this the ups and downs of this pandemic? Yeah, you know, I think it's funny because when I had first. Um, with my publisher, I signed the contract. She told me it would be two years from the date I signed the contract till the actual publication, which I was like, what? Two years? And then COVID hit. And I'm like, everything's closed down. So I'm like, oh my God, look at that. It works for you. Like the, the universe is unfolding for you. And, 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 and in that, I started to see a lot of wonderful um, opportunity for the message. And I think that that is what, to your point, what you're saying. I, I think that having gone through it, and I went through it too, but I was sitting here in my house quarantined in Miami, you know, you know wondering what's happening and, and, and facing all those fears again. But for, for me, the difference is that I have gone through something that was challenging, that I know that at this point around, you know, I, I'll, uh, we will go through this again. We, you just become stronger to elevate a uh, place so that when you share that message to others, especially now, 
that message of hope and don't give up and, and, when, and rest assured that if we take care of each other, we will, we will turn around back to this American dream that we all buy into and, and that's beautiful and that we're all proud of, that you know, rule of law will save us. I, you know, those concepts for me you know, couldn't be better times that it's coming out right now. What's next for you, Meg? So what's next for me? You know, I, I started a, a fiction, but I also am looking to uh, engage in speaking engagements right now. I, I do believe that one of my gifts is that I will inspire others to come awake to the beauty of their dreams. And that's really important to me because the more of us that feel that our dreams are possible, the more curious they will get around that. And I love to help people discover that for sure. Um, I do help right now with uh, ALA, the American Immigration uh, Law Association. I do the wellness. So helping a lot of lawyers who have gone, have been you know, championing certain uh, terms of law you know, on the other, other, other end of the spectrum. So I, I do support that as well. And, you know, i always looking for different opportunities to see my own dreams come true as well. And this literally has been delightful talking to you this morning and, you know, engaging with you. So I can see why everyone loves you so much, Tom. <laughs> That's so nice. Um, Meg, are you able to get out and, and speak to people now? Or is that still a little tentative? So... During, during the pandemic, a lot of the arenas that I found myself in were obviously on Zoom. Everybody found themselves on Zoom. And, and if you're not comfortable with Zoom at this point, then, you know, I don't know under what, you know, rock you've been. But that's been the avenue by which I communicated. I do have a YouTube show and uh, also a podcast called Manifesting with Meg, Conversations with Extraordinary People, where I also do interview a lot of people who are extraordinary in their own right, from teaching to authors to people who are in the, the, the space of, of even engineering and marketing and all those wonderful things. So I get to share what I find to be extraordinary with the world through that as well. As far as getting out in the world, I did do a TEDx in Indiana back in May. That was a little scary. I got on a plane for the first time after such a long time, and, and I was... I was vaccinated, but, you know, at the same time, it wasn't really certain what was going on still. Um, so I'm not necessarily jumping into the foray of traveling all over the world and exploring yet, but, you know, little by little, I think we'll get there again for sure. Well, Meg, it's, it's a delight talking with you, and we're coming to an end, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? I do. It is Meg, M-E-G-N-O-C-E-R-O, Nocero.com. And all my books are available on my website, as well as all my speaking engagements that I've recorded and all my YouTube stuff that I've, I've engaged in is on there as well. And, of course, my books are available wherever books are sold. And Meg, I keep saying Nocero, and you said Nocero. Yeah, no, so, you know, I, I apologize for taking this long no. to catch on to the pronunciation no. of your last no, name. No, I had, 
I had a wonderful interview with an Italian gentleman, Salito Potaggio, the other day, and it's nocera, really. You know, my Italian roots come screaming out. I love it, like <laughs> nocera. But have anybody try to say that, good luck. So you did a great job. We do, I, I nocero, nocero, it, you know, as long as it's not completely better. And believe me, when I had transcripts done when I was in court, you have no idea what they would come up on the transcripts. So I thought that you did a great job. Well, Meg, thanks for being here, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Thank you, Tom. Okay, bye-bye. Meg Nassaro, author of Butterfly Awakens. We'll have more straight Hi, ahead. this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination. Freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the best. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. 
The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
words are jangled in your head Why did summer go so quickly? Was there something that you said? Love was warm along the shore And leave the footprints in the sand And is the sound of distant drumming Just the fingers of your hand And pictures hanging in a hole We are the fragment of our song Have remembered names and faces But to whom do they belong? And when you knew that it was over Spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been waiting in the anteroom of uh, Dr. Haldanish's psychiatric office. In a few moments, uh, Dr. Haldanish will release his last patient. Uh, we've asked for him to give us this hour to discuss with him his new methods in treating psychotic patients. Oh, the door is just opening now, and the patient is just leaving. And we're going into Dr. Haldanis' office now. The patient... That was the patient leaving. No, he said, I want that nut in here again. You hear me? I don't want her in here for any money, for anything. I don't want that lady in here again. Excuse me, who are you? Doctor, I... Do you have an appointment? Yes, I do. I am paying for this hour in order to interview you. Oh, oh are you uh, from the... Uh, I'm from the... the presses? Yes. Oh. How are the I jolly you uh, must be. Yeah. <laughs> sir, sir, Dr. Haldanish, you yeah. just told your nurse not to allow your patient back. Uh, that is yes, not... I can't take it. I can't. I'm... What do you she mean? She spoke filthy. Filth. Do you hear well, me? You're... Wait, just Filth. A moment, I'm not in my house and my Just a moment. Uh, you, are, homes. you are a psychiatrist. That's right, accredited. Yes, you're what's the... I'm not a doctor, I'm accredited. Meaning what? I mean that uh, certain people have said you're, you're accredited. You are all right. But you are a doctor. No, not in the not in the legal sense. Well, you have the word D... Oh, it's not doctor. It's no. D-C-R. Yes, it's... Docker. Uh, docker. It's very close. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't look close, I'm a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> well, Docker Haldanish... Docker... Doctor Doctor Haldanish, you 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 are treating you are treating uh, people who are in need of psychiatric yes. help. I lift their hopes. I turn their spirit. I'd like to get back to this yes. poor girl who went screaming from your office. Well, she's filthy and dirty. Well, what is her problem? And I nearly called a policeman in here to hit her and arrest her. Why do I have to hear that junk? Do you have any people who have real problems? A few. I My friends, that girl that seemed girl like... That girl is sick. How long she got? Well, you saw not. But that's crazy. crazy. She's crazy. For <laughs> God's sake, that girl is crazy. Have I you ever cured anybody of anything? Twice. Who? <laughs> Once a fellow who loved his dog. So, what was his problem? A fellow, Arnold. And most people love their dogs. Arnold. No, but uh, never mind. He really loves <laughs> And uh, there was a lady, Bernice. And what was her problem? 
She just would sit around the house and tear paper. <laughs> so uh, you cured both of these. How did you cure the dog lover? What technique did you use? The dog lover, I said, hey, you can't do that. What you oh, yeah, let's get on to the... I woke him up. I, yeah. I opened his eyes. And Bernice... By niece, I said, I said, don't tear paper. Nice girl like this sits now tears paper. And did she stop? Go out and meet people and go to a party, go to a social function. Don't sit and tear paper. Yeah. Did you cure her? Yes, I cured her. Just telling her not to tear paper. Well, no, if you bats her slapping the hand. Bats! Bats that! Bats that! Don't tear that! Well, that would necessitate your being with her at all times. Oh, well, I lived with her for a while. <laughs> As a critic, as a viewer, as an onlooker. I see. One one last question. That filthy woman comes back again. I swear I'm calling a police. Well, sir, I'm sorry we don't have much time. I'm not a violent man. I'm sorry we don't have much more time, but if you had your way, sir. She was kissing her father in the dream. Oh, is that the dream? Kissing a father in the dream. Well, you want to hear things? Well, many oh. daughters. I have a daughter, and I kiss my daughter. In real life, we kiss each other. Uh, nice talking to you. Goodbye. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Program, don't you know? Go on, go on, get out of here. <laughs>